Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Greetings and welcome to the Games Master Team Championship Semi-Finals. This is Under Consultation, an episode-by-episode podcast guide through the UK's greatest video game challenge TV show, Games Master. I am one of your hosts, Luke Owen, an exciting podcast hope with dips and slides, roller coaster rides. And I'm your other host, Ash Versus, and Luke, your brass. <laughs> this episode aired on the 22nd of February, 1994. Free Willy remains top of the box office, but... <laughs> We have a <laughs> but we have a new number one and it's the last number one we're gonna have for series three it's mariah carey without you which i genuinely know more for the bad finger version because i went through a period listening to bad finger because bad finger with a band that everyone thought was actually the beatles in disguise at one point but it's it's a perfectly functional cover although it's not actually a direct cover of the Badfinger version. It's actually a cover of Harry Nilsson's version, which was a cover of the Badfinger original because it's based on his instrumentation and his pacing of it. It was the third single off Music Box and it was released in the US at least just a week after Nilsson had died following a heart attack. So I don't think that was a cynical cash grab. I think that was just very unfortunate or perhaps fortunate from a sales point of view timing. It was number one over here, and as you said, it's our last number one of the series. And in America, it was the Billboard Hot 100 number one for six weeks. It remained in the top 40 for 21 weeks and on the chart itself for 23. That is wet, wet, wet levels of longevity. It is. It is decidedly soggy. It's a song that when I saw it written down, I had no like no memory of it whatsoever it's not the mariah carey song that i would associate from this time and actually like i wouldn't have been able to tell you how it goes until i went and listened to it and i was like oh it's that song yeah 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 i know that song quite well now this was carey's first number one here in the uk and while she had another number one in collaboration with westlife in 2000 with against all odds it wouldn't be until 2020 that she would get a certified number one in the UK with All I Want for Christmas is You. So that is 26 years between number ones. And it's not that she didn't chart. She charted just fine. She just never hit that number one spot. 
Yeah, it's one of my favorite facts about um, All I Want for Christmas because like it's such a beloved Christmas song that it wasn't a number one hit and it was you know only until last year that it actually became a number one hit. It's no Slade. No, well, no. And I find that like kind of baffling because like Mariah Carey feels like such an icon of the 90s and she felt like she was all over the charts in the 90s, but to not actually have a number one hit... Yeah, that's, that's, that really does surprise me. I would I would have put money down that she did. Uh, in the gaming world, Sonic 3 is our new number one in the gaming charts, knocking FIFA off of its pedestal, while in the arcade, Super Street Fighter 2 Turbo is released, which is the one that includes Akuma uh, as a character in there. So, like, I, I thought that that's pretty cool, and that, that's quite exciting that we now are living in a Street Fighter world where Akuma is one of our characters. Yeah, where the roster of characters is now officially 13? Well, it's it's Super Street Fighter 2 as well, so that already had, like, the four bonus characters. Oh, sh- yeah, you're right. Sorry, 17. We're now at 17 characters. This roster is ever-expanding. Like, which is, like, and it's mad, isn't it? Because we didn't even have Super Street Fighter 2 on the consoles yet. Uh, but here it is in the arcade in a Turbo Edition. Also released is Terminator 2 on the Super Nintendo and is rubbish and i thought i'd make a note of it because it was featured back in episode 14 skyblazer is released on the super nintendo uh in japan after being released in january in north america we actually get it next month uh but yeah we saw it back as a challenge in episode 14 so just to show you you know here we are episode 25 of this show and 11 episodes ago that game still is now that's how new they had that game that's incredible i mean as we look to the final like which is just around the corner there's a lot of new games there but it is absolutely incredible how how early they got access to some of these games particularly given when this would have actually been filmed versus when it was broadcast yeah because they'd have done that in like the summer of 93 so they had a very early review copy of that uh, but have we got anything in the magazine that we want to make reference to well i thought as you just mentioned super street fighter 2 turbo i'd have a little box out on a subject that you are kind of familiar with which would be the street fighter 2 the movie it is out this year now we've had a bunch of details shall we say that you and i have both quite correctly identified as bobbins this one i don't know what to make of it's a skeleton plot and it bears no resemblance to what we see but i'm curious to see your reaction to it and see what you make of it okay Yes, Capcom have finally revealed a skeleton plot for the forthcoming Street Fighter 2 movie, and it's as woefully hopeless as we'd all secretly hoped it would be. Filmed in and around LA, it would seem that the movie kicks off with Sagat, Balrog and Vega as Bison's henchmen, breaking into the house that Ken, Ryu, Guile and the rest of the good guys occupy. They kidnap Dal Sim and whisk him off to Thailand as supposedly, and we're just repeating it as we were being told, Dal Sim has been tinkering as a scientist and has come up with something that could thwart Bison's plan to destroy the world. So with the most feeble pretenses of motives in place and the worryingly uncastable Dal Sim skillfully shuffled out of the picture, the scene is set for an almighty great punch-up. Oh, and Bison's got a great big submarine as well, evidently. That is so interesting because... So from what I know of the production based on everyone that i have spoken to there was only ever one script for the film which is what steven d'souza wrote like because capcom had a lot of directors come into pitch and steven d'souza was the one that they had picked because he 
pitched them what they wanted, which was G.I. Joe the movie, because they wanted to sell G.I. Joe toys uh, based off the Street Fighter characters that they had done a deal with Hasbro. So yeah, they were looking to sell toys off the back of this. And what you've essentially just sort of described then is not too kind of like dissimilar to the cartoon series that we get, the World Warriors cartoon series. Colonel William Giles, one of the greatest martial artists in the world, travels the global tournament circuit, using it to conceal his top secret mission as leader of an elite group of international crime fighters known only by their code name, Street Fighters. Heroic man beast, Blanca, hard kicking fighting machine, Chun Li. And the team of the most amazing warriors ever seen have joined forces with Guile to combat the criminal empire of Shadaloo and its superhuman leader, Bison. They have their own code of honor, discipline. Justice, commitment, and together they will triumph against the forces of evil. Street Fighters! Where Bison has a group of baddies, and the other Street Fighters are a group of G.I. Joe-like good guys. I can't fully say that that is, you know, a load of tosh, what they're saying there. D'Souza was writing the script at this point, and it would have been a G.I. Joe movie. And that does sound, you know, quite G.I. Joe-esque. And Dalsim is a scientist in there. The only thing that gives me pause as to it being Bobbins and just sort of made up is that D'Souza's original script only had seven characters in it. Now, you said that we had Bison, Balrog, uh, Sagat, Dalsim, Ryu, Ken, Guile, right? And Chun-Li. And Chun-Li, which would make... I, I left a couple of words out because they also called her Chunners, and I'm just not doing that. And Chunli, which would make eight, but I suppose if you take out Dalsim, that is seven. That is what D'Souza wanted to do. He only wanted seven characters in there, and it was uh, Capcom, Capcom's behest that characters kept getting added in. It's the only thing that gives me pause to it, though, I would say, based on based on my knowledge of the making of that movie, which isn't like comprehensive. And it's in, it interests me because there were some elements there that are actually really close. Like Dalsim being a scientist. A scientist, yeah, because he is Dr. Dalsim in the final product. And working on something that would put an end to M. Bison's plans. Now, there's no mention of Blanca anywhere in that synopsis. So maybe the idea then would have been Bison wanted to repurpose the kind of super soldier, essentially, to work for him. Bison didn't have a submarine in Street Fighter. I'm checking I'm not like losing my mind, but he didn't have a submarine in Street Fighter, did he? No, there is a water... Like, they, they basically get into a G.I. Joe water vehicle. The good guys do. Like, Guile and Cammy and, and T-Hawk get into the sort of, like, this sort of water thing so they can go along to Shadowloo. But, yeah, I don't think Bison has a submarine in there. But, no, that was my point. There is no... If Bison doesn't have the submarine, the good guys do have their kind of stealth boat. And yeah. so I'm looking at some of this and I'm thinking, Chinese whispers, this could actually be an accurate report of what they were told... And it's just been through maybe, oh, I don't know. I mean, say it came from Capcom, say it originally came from someone in Capcom Japan and was then translated badly to English and then verbally recounted at a trade show or rather more likely in the bar after a trade show. Whilst the concept of the cast of Street Fighter living like friends is pretty hilarious. Sagat and Vega were henchmen 
Mm-hmm. The role of Balrog, he became a good guy, but his place was kind of taken by DJ to a degree, at least being a bad guy. Yeah, because Balrog then becomes the cameraman or like the sound guy or whatever it is for Chun-Li and Ian Honda. Yeah, they put the heavies together as the comedy duo to to be the news crew for Chun-Li. But yeah, there is enough in this that, you know, if you look at it like a magic eye picture, it it almost seems like it could be related to the film we actually see, even if translation and Chinese whispers. Um, when I, I spoke to D'Souza about this and I asked him if there were like early drafts of the movie, if there were like different versions of it, he effectively told me that there was one story that he ever had written down, which is the story that ends up as the final product. And then it was just sort of like adaptations upon that. So that's the only other thing that kind of gives me pause in all of this. But that's not to say that, you know, D'Souza remembers it incorrectly, or that you, you would think that he would remember it since that he wrote and directed it. But I, yeah, there is something in this. The toyetic nature of that written down there with the bison submarine and things like that, and it sounds like the plot of a G.I. Joe episode, does make me think there is something to that. There really does. Like, as I say, as you dig more into it and you read between the lines, it's, it, there's definitely some commonality between what they've written and what we actually saw. I'm going to briefly dip back to the letters page now, because one, it ties into Street Fighter again, so keeping it on a theme. And two, it also ties in to what we did a bonus episode about with the Games Master reboot. Hmm. So, so this one came in from Antonio Lulick, who's in Washington, Tynum Ware. Right, look, I've got an Amiga and I've been buying your mag since it came out and it's the best multi-format magazine since Games X. But I have a few questions. One, will Super Street Fighter 2 be coming out on the Mega Drive any sooner than March 1994? If so, is it any good? And the answer to that is, oh dear, no way is the simple answer. And you can thrash me with a herring and call me Gregory if it does. As to how good it is, we have no idea because it doesn't exist yet. Now, I'm assuming the no way is due to it coming out before March 94, because otherwise a lot of herrings would be involved, because, of course, Mega Drive did get Super Street Fighter 2 eventually. And I don't know, they might have started work on it at this point. Oh, I would have thought so. Question two. Is the Games Master really Patrick Stewart, Captain Picard of Star Trek The Next Generation? (laughs) To which the answer is, oh dear, no, it's Patrick Moore off the sky at night which is a bit like Star Trek The Next Generation, but no one dies in it. Now, I have to wonder if Antonio later went on to become like a graphic element maker for Channel 4. Also, if he's an Amiga owner, he'll be pleased to know that Super Street Fighter gets released uh, on the Amiga in uh, 1995 in Europe, so you probably can play it then if he wants. He's spoilt for choice. And lastly, here's a hard one. On a Game Gear, when you have a gear-to-gear adapter, do you need a game cartridge in both Game Gears when you play in two-player mode? To which the answer is yes. But that made me realise is that we did at various points have times with different formats where you could actually play multiplayer on handheld without multiple game cartridges. Not on the Game Boy at least, but I think certainly on the DS and on the possibly on the Game Boy Advance. The game Boy Advance you could do, yeah. And with the uh, the DS and the 3DS, you used to be able to like send wirelessly little multiplayer versions of the game. Yeah. Honestly, it just that last question just made me slightly kind of like see how far we've come where you don't all need to own 30 40 pound copies of the game sometimes it's just enough to be in wi-fi radius 
Yeah, I mean, I'm going to put over Tetris on the Nintendo DS has got a brilliant multiplayer mode on it. Oh, yes. Because it combines Tetris with Mario Kart, where you you are playing Tetris, but you are firing Mario Kart weapons at each other, and it's fucking tremendous. Tetris, I won't say in every iteration is great because, ooh, there was some bobbin sequels, like ones they actually numbered as sequels that were terrible. But in general... Tetris is pretty damn good in most of its major formats. But anyway, that will do it for the magazine for this week. But next week, it's the Games Mistress, Luke. This is the last of our semi-final. Two teams are through, the Humberside Hawks and the Mega Maniacs. Tonight, three more teams are going to pit their skills against each other in a bid to secure themselves a place in our final. Man, it's... It feels like we've been in the team championships forever, but also not long enough for it to be the final next week. It feels like the series has gone really long and then suddenly very abruptly ended. And I find myself very emotionally conflicted by it because whilst I'm very excited to get on to season four and see the next iteration of the show, I'm also going to miss this because from this point onwards, everything changes. Like the the format of the show changes and the production style changes completely. I don't know how I'm going to feel when we get to our season three wrap up episode because not everything has worked in season three. Not everything was great. There were a lot of problems, some of them in front of the camera, some of them behind the camera. But there have been moments of absolute brilliance and there has been some amazingly tense challenges and games. And, And I think this is something we've kind of had before. If I just decided to rewatch season three, I'd have probably got to the end of it and gone, well, that was okay. But the fact that I've actually gone through it and I've talked about it with you, I think that's also playing into this because it's been a lot of fun to kind of like see where we agree and where we contrast. And it's made the series more memorable as a result. Yeah, it is. Uh, you know, it's, it's kind of not, I don't know. I don't know what the word is, but this is our penultimate Dex episode. It's, it's a very different landscape without him. Dean, Dean, right, so you got through the heats all right, and now you're into the semi-finals. How do you think you're going to do, Dean? Easy, I mean, because they're brass, we're just too cold, we're going to do them easy. So you've been practising a lot? Yeah, I think I'm just going to kill them. Yeah? And you're going to do all right? Yeah! Of course, of course they are! Them. All right, good one, give them a big cheer, we're going to meet them. Yeah. Well done, Dean, good one, mate. Yeah. Here they are, the Elite 3. Here's the three that are incredibly elite, here they are. Right, tell us your names. My name's Matthew, I'm the team captain. Matthew's the team captain. Ashton. Ashton. Liam. Liam. So, Liam, how are your team going to do, mate? Oh, we're so confident, it's unbelievable. We're going to kill it off straight away. I'm quietly confident, yeah? There's no competition. No competition? No. You sure? It's going to be close and, and good. You're going to give some good challenges tonight, then, yeah? Yeah. Absolutely right. Give them a big cheer. We'll meet the next team. Yeah. I'm Andrew from St. Calford. Andrew. John from Southampton. John. And Robert from St. Calford. Robert. Now, Andrew, um, I think you've got a team replacement here. I don't think we've seen John before, have we? No, he's a replacement for Rob McDonald. Is he? Yeah. What, what happened to Rob McDonald? He was ill. He was ill? Mm-hmm. Do you want to say hello to him? He's probably sitting at home watching oh, now. Rob, All right, Rob. Well, tell him, are you going to win or what? Uh, yeah, of course. Yeah? You're still going to split the prizes with Rob if you do? Nah. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, give him a big cheer. Now, in our final trio features the team that you took the most against uh, in the heats, which was the elite three of Matthew, Ashton, and Liam. 
And I, I feel that this episode is a bit of a turnaround for the Elite Three. They're more humble in this episode than they were in their heats. Good for them. <laughs> no, I mean, I would agree. They, they say something about it being so comfy, they're going to kill it. Ashton does say, oh, there's no competition. Matthew is actually the most modest of them, saying it's going to be a close call or close and good. Uh, I mean, they're all mumbling through this. They have lost a lot of the bottle that they had beforehand. We've also got the nightmares, which is Dean, Matt and Dean. And my biggest issue actually at this point is with them because second Dean, close your goddamn mouth. You are chewing gum with an open mouth again. And it's something that's never really irked me until this season of Games Master. But there are a lot of open mouthed masticators in this season. And it's definitely something that is rubbing me up the wrong way. But that's also the team which says all the other teams are brass. Now, Luke, you're a few years younger than me. You're hip and with the kids. What sure is am. brass? It's not a term I would have used. Certainly not in our schoolyard. We'd just call kids sad. Rhyming slang? Brass? Ass? Could be, yeah. Monkey? Brass monkey? Maybe he's saying they're all monkeys. <laughs> Could be. I don't know. But either way, we've got the Nightmares joining the Elite Three. And last up is the Questers. With a team change. They've got a lineup change because Rob McDonald of the Questers is ill. So he's been replaced with Roberts. I, I love then the Dex is just like, oh, you're going to split the prizes with him then? Let's go, no. But get well soon. Yeah, I really enjoyed that. It made me laugh. As per for the semis, we're not going with new games. It's all classics at this point. But I do wonder what nostalgic cart is going to slide into our waiting slot first. Oi! For goodness sake, don't all shout at once. My first challenge this evening is on the enchanting Aladdin for the Sega Mega Drive. Our contestants have 45 seconds to collect as many apples as possible while avoiding all the dangers lurking in the Casper. As usual, I'll award five points to the team that collects the most apples, two points to the second, and nothing to the losers. And as we saw in the Christmas special, the kids join in with Dex going... Oi, Games Master! Oh, I love that. And I love the fact that the Games Master responded this time, going, there's no need for all of you to shout. Shut <laughs> up! Yeah, we are playing Aladdin, which again, it feels like a very comfy favourite of Games Master here in Series 3. Um, 45 seconds to collect as many apples as possible on level 1. We have had a collecting apples challenge on uh, actually the first team championship heat. Way, 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 way back when. But that was on a much later level. Uh, and then the gimmick of the semi-finals is that you're playing classic games. You're playing old games. You're playing new games in the heat. Now we're playing the classic games. So it's weird then that we're playing a game that was featured in the early heats. So Dex covers for this by going like, So the game's a modern classic. He's not wrong. It is a modern classic. And one thing that is definitely classic about this is it's the Mega Drive version. Mm -hmm. It is the better version. I'm, I'm not going to try and maintain the stance that the SNES version was superior because it wasn't. And also the Mega Drive wasn't the only place you could actually play the Mega Drive version because it was also the basis for the Amiga and the PC versions. They were all based off the Mega Drive code as well. First up is Dean of the Nightmares. Dave, tell us what the SP is on Dean. Well, in the heats, he completed his Tin Head Championship easily. He cruised it. We took a whole week to complete the 96 levels of Mario World. He's going to have no such time luxury here. He's only got 40 seconds. Speed and accuracy are going to be everything. We've got Dean from the Nightmares up first, who won his Tin Head Challenge. But he did take a full week to do the 96 exits on Mario World. 
which I, again, like Dave almost says that as a negative thing, but that seems like a very good achievement to have done all 96 exits in a week. Especially because if it's a week, chances are that's including school and dinner mm. and going to bed at a reasonable time. I, I poo-pooed the completing Mario World in one day on the last episode, but this I'm like, right on, that sounds pretty damn good. That still impresses me. I have got one word to describe uh, Dean's playing of Aladdin here, and that word is textbook. This was absolutely textbook playing of this game. This was the taking the quickest route, running through baddies, knowing when to jump, knowing when to get the apples. It was just textbook stuff with 46 at the end there. It was, yeah, just he knew the challenge. He knew the level. He knew exactly how to maximize his time. And speaking of textbook, realistically, Matthew of the Elite 3 is up next. Um, his claim to fame is he can complete the first level of Sonic 2 in 20 seconds. So he's a speed merchant, which, you know, it was the 90s. Mm-hmm. But um, he basically does an almost identical run. And his run is also textbook. These guys know this level. They know this challenge. And he gets the exact same score, 46 apples. Next up is John Paul of the Questers. Um, well, he's a, bit of a, he's a bit of an unknown quantity, really, isn't he, Dave? We don't know anything about him. He's a mystery man. But if he's going to be on this show, he better be good. So it's up to our man from the Questers here. who's uh, They call him the mystery man at this point. Not sure how he's going to get on. But if you're here, you'd better be good. And he plays the same that the other two do but some of his jumps aren't quite as on point and therefore he misses just like a handful of apples here and there like he misses an apple early on he misses one that's slightly midway through and so he ends up in the same spot that the other two did when his time runs out but he does have four apples less he has 42 at the end of this really really good effort but unfortunately dean and matthew of the nightmares and the elite three were just far more accomplished at this I imagine a lot of it with this poor little sod was the stress of the night and also the fact that he was called in to substitute. And realistically, it was one cluster of apples at the end that cost him this. And it was just he went right when he should have gone left as he was falling down. And yeah, he looked frustrated. I felt so bad for him because he had so much on his shoulders to not only come in and be in the semi-final, but to fill someone else's shoes at probably fairly short notice. An odd start and kind of sad because, yeah, the first two, textbook, I would have actually loved it if we'd had 46 for all three players. That would have been something special and that would have made this episode magical from the offset because it really shows we've got three teams that are excellent. Well, Dex, very interesting you were two people with the same amount of apples. So what has that done to the scoreboard? Okay, a valiant effort from John Paul there on the Questers, but unfortunately he didn't win the challenge, so his team's on zero. But the Nightmares in the Elite 3, they both scored 46, so that means they're both out in front with five points each. Give them a cheer! Well, it's put the Questers at a massive disadvantage, unfortunately, because the other team are like out in the league with five. And there's, we've kind of established on this, if you've got five points in your first game, you're likely going through to the final round. So the Questers have got a proper uphill struggle on their hands now. And they're a man down from their original trio. I feel bad for the Questers. It made me pull for them more at this point, even though I know that was kind of a fool's errand. And also, just realistically, I didn't want to see the Elite Three go through. I know they're a bit more humble here, but they still rub me up the wrong way. Although, speaking of being rubbed up the wrong way... Coming out soon is a whole new batch of Mega CD games. Tonight, we take a look at four of them to see if the Mega CD is finally going to knock us down and steal our hearts. 
relax, baby. The one thing all these games have in common is fabulous full motion video intro sequences like this one for the boxing game Prize Fighter coming out in March. But once you get past the intros, what do you get? Yes, those gloves are you. Now go slug him one, Rocky. You're Adrian. The black and white sequences are far too grainy, and you never really feel you've got any control over your character. It's an interesting idea, but it falls flat on its face. Could have been a contender, but it ain't. We've got a review zone special here, uh, looking specifically at mega CD games that will be coming out in the next couple of months. I mean, I don't want to say that it's it's paid for advertising by Sega, because if it was, I think they'd be way more like praising of the games. But it just, yeah, like, because uh, they're not keen on a lot of these. It really does feel that we're in a position where the mega CD is a console that i really want but when i look back on it now there's you know what three games i probably would have actually wanted to and would have played because a lot of these just would probably not have interested me at the time with the exception of maybe like double switch i guess is of this lot feels like the best of the bunch if it had been paid promotion definitely this would have been a bit more positive because this entire thing starts with decks going mega cd it's a bit naff thus far. Will this make us think it's not naff? To which the answer is probably not. I mean, the first game out of the box is Prize Fighter, which boxing games haven't been great historically with us here on Under Consultation at this point in time. And most of the time when we get a boxing game, one or the other of us references Punch-Out because it's a better game. It certainly is. And I don't think that having a black and white FMV-based boxing game is really going to help matters. It's essentially going Dragon's Lair, but boxing, because it's all predetermined moments. I like Prize Fighter on paper, a first-person boxing game that is you fighting against a, a, a video. There's there's something about it, and it's black and white, so it's like it kind of gives you this raging bull vibe to it. There's something about this on paper that I really, really like and admire. But man, the execution of this is not good. And it, it, I mean, I don't think it got great reviews when it came out at the time, and it's really not looked upon fondly now. It didn't really get great reviews, and it, it, it's a shame because there was a lot of actual production put into it. They got a proper director in, there's a proper story, you're cast as an upstart boxer known as The Kid, you've got to fight a series of fights, and there's a storyline and there's FMV that takes you along with it. But the video doesn't look great. It's black and white, which... While I would love to believe it's a mood choice, I think it's a technical limitation thing because nowadays you can sell a game as being black and white. You can sell it as an artistic choice. Kids in 93 and 94 are not buying a black and white game. No, and like Tim Tucker of Games Master Magazine, you know, he says that the the graphics are very grainy and he's not wrong. So I can only imagine in color, it would have been even harder to like really work out what you were supposed to be looking at because the camera is like quite frantically moving around and this isn't like video quality that you would expect on a game now this is video quality on early fmv in 1994 so it is like you know not a great amount of frames per second not a lot of pixels on the screen yeah i i, I agree with you that i think that the black and white aspect of this is a technical choice because in color i think it would have looked like absolute dog shit. Part of me wonders if they did actually film it in colour. They saw how it was going to look and went, what can we do to save that's, face? That's what I'm thinking, yeah. yeah. Next up is Ground Zero Texas. Basically, you shoot some alien baddies in a similar fashion to the game Mad Dog McCree. The idea is to make you believe you're interacting with the movie. But what did our good guys think of it? The combination of shooting action and video inserts worked really well for me. 
it's the best of both worlds really and a highly enjoyable game. Despite all the flashy visuals and the uh, full motion video, Ground Zero Texas is straight into the screen shooting. There's lots to do, a lot of interaction. But at the same time, it's very thin gameplay. Yeah, so it's Ground Zero Texas, which they say is similar to Mad Dog McCree, a bit of a favourite of Games Master is Mad Dog. And this is the one where they say, like, I think John Smith of Mega is a bit more into this because, you know, he thinks it's highly enjoyable. But Tim, you know, like a lot of these American laser games, does say, yeah, it's, it's a bit basic. This game was produced a lot like Mad Dog McCree. It was a second generation title for digital pictures with most of their first series of titles for the Mega CD having been redos of titles that they'd originally developed for Hasbro's Nemo system. Mm. So you're kind of Night Trap and Sewer Shark. And in fact, most of the $3 million they spent on making this game came from the money they got bundling Sewer Shark with the Mega CD console in America. Most of the actors in this are people you've never heard of, but the director might be of interest. One Dwight H. Little, who's known for the films Marks for Death, and Halloween 4, The Return of Michael Myers. Yep. I've got quite a soft spot for Halloween 4, I don't mind saying. I do view 4, 5, and 6 as their own little trilogy. You've got 1 and 2, 3 does its thing, and then I just like to watch 4, 5, and 6 as their own kind of, like, thing. But like, So, I, I mean, I did a Halloween marathon many, many years ago now where we watched all of the original 10 back-to-back -back and both the Rob Zombie movies along with that. So we did 12 films in total, and bloody hell, when you have watched 12 films back-to-back, -back, Rob Zombie's Halloween 2 f***ing drags because you're waiting for these films to end, and that film drags at the best of times. But for Halloween 4 and 5, I find a, like they're the ones I get confused with the most because they, they feel a bit interchangeable, but Halloween 4 is the one that ends with Daniel Harris at the top of the stairs in the clown costume having stabbed someone right yeah i mean four and four and five definitely run straight into each other and then six follows a bit later but they, they are all part of a story arc and while i kind of admire what they did and i've certainly enjoyed revisiting the films as part of the big old uh the big old scream factory blu-ray box set that a friend of mine bought over for me a few years ago they put the producers cut back in so a lot of the stuff to do with the cult in six yeah. has now been restored Halloween Six makes a bit more sense in that producer's cut. It's still not great, but at least it's not great, but makes sense. Yeah. But yeah, so this this guy is probably used to having fairly difficult projects, and I think this one definitely was. It started with the code name of Project X. It was inspired by Invasion of the Body Snatchers and Invaders from Mars. By the time it actually started being made, the script had been rewritten by at least three different people. It was filmed with a full Hollywood film crew, which means that in addition to the difficulties of shooting for technology, Digital Pictures also had to negotiate with the Directors Guild, SAG, and the Writers Guild, and that marked the first time this had been done for a video game. Previous ones hadn't been done with a full professional film crew. Mm. Over here in the UK, when it came out, it was a bestseller for two months running, was awarded the best Sega Mega CD game of 94 by EGM, and although they did actually criticise the controls, the acting, the dialogue, they did praise the music and the storyline. They gave it 7.5 out of 5. And this is one of a number of games that you can actually revisit now without owning a Mega CD. Uh, Night Trap, this, and the game we're going to discuss next are all available to purchase on multiple platforms. I own Night Trap and Double Switch on the Switch. But yeah, John said the combo of shooting action and video game inserts worked really well for him. Best of both worlds and a highly enjoyable game. Tim isn't as easily wowed. 
And he points out the gameplay is very thin. Well, of course it is, mate. It's a light gun game. Come on. Double Switch coming out in March is the most ambitious of the three yet. You gotta help me. You find yourself in an apartment block and guided by some bloke in the basement, you must protect the tenants from invaders, usually by making the floor open up beneath them. Maybe somebody doesn't want me writing this story. There's a lot to do, a really good plot, and well-formed characters. It's faster, smoother, and more action-packed than Night Trap. It made me laugh. You let those suckers get to the power box. And now we're all cut off. Tim also has a line in the review of Double Switch where he says that there's well-formed characters, which I would massively disagree with. I mean, there are definitely characters, and I would say that actually between this and the last game, this game does have the better quality of acting, the better quality of sets. I mean, some of those costumes in Ground Zero Texas were just like sub- Doctor Who in the 1970s standards. They were really, really low budget. Whereas this game does look really nice. And hey, they've clearly got a bit of money to splash around because they've got a Corey for it. They have indeed, yeah. And uh, do you know what? Like Double Switch, as I kind of said at the top of this, is the game I think in all of this that holds up the best. Like Double Switch is basically Night Trap, but good. And I think there's a lot of fun to be had with Double Switch. And uh, yeah, well, I'm, I'm, I can sort of poke fun at the idea that they're they're well-formed characters, because I don't think they're well-formed. But they, they probably are well-formed compared to a lot of other Mega CD games. It was actually a bit sad for me, because I did do a stream of Night Trap, and I had a lot of fun doing it. And I'm like, let's follow it with uh, Double Switch. And I started playing it, and whereas Night Trap I was doing pretty well at, and I managed to get through the entire game and get to the end, Double Switch, I just dogged that up. <laughs> and I haven't gone back to it since, to be honest, because I just I wanted to like it so much, and I just couldn't get on with it. It really frustrated me. But it is essentially Night Trap 2, but with brighter colours and, like, less titillation, I mm. guess is the best word. And, yeah, Corey Haim. Next up is a good old race game, Mega Race. The backgrounds, which are drawn on a PC, look fabulous. The problem comes is when you put the little cars that you're meant to be driving on top of all that. They look as though they're floating. At the end of the day, is it any better a race game than Road Rash or F1? Let's find that from the boys. The tracks are very exciting. There are lots of dips and slides and roller coaster rides. It moves along at a cracking pace. It's got plenty of violence, loads of action, stunning graphics. What more do you want? And then our last game we get here is Mega Race, where this is the one that feels like the most kind of paid for promotion by Sega. And I say that because both Tim and John are like, you know, really wowed by it. And, you know, like, oh, the tracks are this and that. And like, oh, they look really, really great. And John was like, oh, it's got stunning graphics and this, that and the other. But Dexter's introduction for it is just like, man, these cars look like they're floating and don't look like they're actually on the track at all. And it really doesn't look that good. It doesn't look that good. Dex does dunk on it from a great height. And then the reviewers, yeah, they're very, very positive on it. It did actually do really quite well with reviews when it came out. The 3DO version especially did well. So I'm not sure how well the Mega CD version fared. But it did well enough to give birth to a number of sequels as well. So maybe... Maybe it played well enough because it was very fast. And as I said, it was like a roller coaster and all that. And it kind of feels a bit like a precursor to Wipeout in a bit, just in the twisty, yeah. turny nature of the tracks. So maybe it actually played better than it looked. 
and you could overlook the slightly wonky physics once you were actually controlling it because you kind of got sucked in. Well, that's one satisfied punter at least, but why do Mega CD games leave so many of us feeling disappointed? Sorry, Sega, but I do. Yeah, and Dex just sort of rounds this out here by talking about how, and it's, you know, it's, it's the comment that Dave Perry had made a few episodes ago, or quite a few episodes ago now, where, you know, it's just like, Mega CD owners want to know why they often feel disappointed. Sorry, Sega, but they do. It's a bizarre feature because it feels like, as we've said, you know, it feels like this is Sega placements, Sega product placements. But it's also Sega product placement where the people who are doing the product placement are going like, yeah, but it's a bit naff though, isn't it? It's like they paid for product placement, but didn't actually specify what had to be said. Yeah, like we just, we just want our games featured on the show. And it's like they could have actually shown the discs being used to scrape up dog poo. And then that technically, because they didn't say they couldn't do that, then they get away with it. But yeah, it's not a great show for the Mega CD, particularly because last week we had a stunning look at the 3DO. And I know the 3DO is my kind of white whale, but those games did look good. I, I actually, you know, I've turned a corner on this, really have, because uh, I've made mention of it many times before. In fact, I even said it earlier here. The Mega CD is the console that I really wanted. And the Mega CD is something that I've, kind of always wanted that is my white whale i've never owned a mega cd i've always loved the visual of the mega cd with the mega drive on top of it and the 32x in there with sonic and knuckles and the game then plugged into the lock-on technology the tower of power <laughs> like i i just sort of love that as a visual and i would happily have that in my house as a piece of like the decoration i would have that on a shelf or something because i think it looks quite smart and, I, and i've really enjoyed it but the mega cd is the sort of thing that if i ever got one you had to play sonic cd and that's probably about it because i'm never going to own a physical copy of snatcher because it's way too expensive i'm never going to probably own physical copies of night trap or double switch or anything like that so really it probably would just be sonic cd and then oh final fight's another one i'd love and I'm, you'll never get access to expensive so it'll just be yeah sonic cd and that would probably be about it, and maybe you know, Echo or something. And also, here we are at the tail end of Season 3 with this feature on the Sega CD, and yet we know not too far in the future we're going to start seeing the Saturn. It's mm -hmm. such a weird time. Yeah, and the 32X and everything. like the, the, the Mega, This will probably be like one of the last real mentions we'll ever have of the Mega CD on Games Master. But that's enough of that chat. Let's get into our second challenge. What are we playing, Games Master? For my next challenge... I've chosen the skydiving classic, Pilot Wings for the Super Nintendo. Our contestants will require nerves of steel and pinpoint accuracy to steer their parachutists through a series of rings before landing safely on the circle target on ground level. Points are awarded for the number of wings cleared and the landing position on the target. The team which scores highest will be awarded five points, the runner-up two, and the loser is zero. It's one of Ash's favourites and one that I have particularly loved seeing in Games Master. But like this skydiving level on Pilot Wings, this is the fourth time we have had this challenge uh, in our podcast history. We had it twice in Series 2, we had it in Games World, and now we have got it here as well. So we have seen a lot of people do a lot of skydives, Ash. We have. And I'll be honest, for Games Master, and particularly for this era of Games Master with its time constraints, it's the best challenge. Don't get me wrong. I'd love to see the airplane challenge. I'd love to see the hang glider challenge a bit more. I'd love to see the rocket pack challenge. But 
skydiving through the hoops, it's a nice simple one and deceptively tricky at times, as these guys definitely prove. But when Pilot Wings came up, my nose just said, oh yeah, it's my boy. I do <laughs> love Pilot Wings. I almost completed it on stream in a single sitting and it was just a case of I was running out of time to get that last secret helicopter mission done. This is the fourth time that we've had this challenge. It was quite a delight to see it pro uh, crop up again because I, I knew it would delight you and it, and it brought a smile to my face as well. It's my skitchin. Skitchin! <laughs> but this is comfortably the worst playing we've seen of this game, right? Yes and no. It's the worst and the best. Oh, yeah, I suppose actually, yeah, Liam does really well. But yeah, the other two players kind of bottom out on this a bit. I just also want to say before we get into the challenge, because Robert of the Quest is up first, that Dex says it's a game often forgotten, but one of his favourites. And I know we've gone back and forth. Is Dex a gamer? Is he not? But I actually found that line believable because Pilot Wings is not your traditional game. It is kind of an early casual gamer thing because it's not runny jumpy. It's a more thoughtful game. It's a game that I think a lot of casual people could pick up. So mm. I like that line because also I agree. I do think it is a forgotten classic. It is often overlooked once Mario Kart and such came out. Oh, yeah. And particularly once Star Fox was on the scene, Pilot Wings didn't matter anymore. And even now, as a franchise, still languishing. Uh, we got a 3DS version with Resort and that was it. That's it. Yeah, it, it's kind of mad. It's, it's one of, I like guess, zero in a way for Nintendo, where it's a franchise that has got a lot of love behind it, but they're just not that interested in making it. But I think like if you're Nintendo and, you know, what we've seen with Nintendo over the years is that unless you've got like a really good idea on how to relaunch a franchise, they're just not going to do it. It's why we get a lot of Legend of Zelda's is because people come in with very interesting takes on what to do for the next Zelda. I mean, I'm sure we'll see something new from Pilot Wings eventually when they finally run out of characters to put in Smash Brothers. Yeah, probably, yeah. Well, a game that's often forgotten, but one of my favourites, Pilot Wings, a very good game. Now, Robert the Questers is up first. Robert got his team into the finals by just scraping a points victory on Legends of the Ring. Uh, but Pilot Wings, totally different game. There's, you can't take any knocks on this. If you take a knock, you're dead. But Robert of the Questers is up first, and he looks bored out of his mind every time they show him on the challenge. And I think it's because he knows they're stuffed. I think he's just like, yeah, we're balls. Yeah, there's no way that they're going to get through this, uh, unfortunately. And like, I, I also feel that he probably, like, I don't know if he enjoys the game or not as well, or if he's particularly good at it, or he's played a lot of it. But he misses the second ring. He misses the fourth. He misses the fifth. He dives down. And then he is clearly aiming for the uh, the, the rotating platform to get the big bonus and just crash lands in the water with a potential maximum score of 130, he got nine. And like Dex and Dave seem very dismayed by his performance. He could have got 130 points on that challenge, but he only got three points for each ring he went through, and he only went through three, three out of five anyway. So he got nine points. Nine Awful. points, abysmal. Partly because they're not dunking on the kids too much at this point. You know, they've done it in the past, but for some reason they're not now. But also because you want good quality of games play for this, the, like the final semi, and this is not it. They cut to Robert, and he just looks pissed. Yeah. He looks pissed and annoyed, and he shakes his head and walks away. He fucked it. Absolutely. And he knows that's it. They're pretty much going home. Yeah. That they can't they can't get through now. It's it's entirely academic. But Liam is up next for the Elite Three. And whilst he won the head-to-head -head on Jamit, he'll have to be an Iceman 
to win this challenge. Yeah, because he played as Chill when he was uh, uh, on Jamit. And he does great here. Gets all five rings, gets a nice smooth landing. I mean, they essentially put over. It's the best score you can possibly get without getting the moving target bonus because he scores 100 out of 130. Uh, we, we, you know, we said textbook earlier about the Aladdin playing. This is pretty much textbook pilot wings. Absolutely. And you can tell how good it is because your tutor's eyes go vertical surprise. <laughs> and it's always great when you can get that kind of extra special shock reaction out of the, uh, the, the tutors in pilot wings. I was impressed. Mm. It's not an overly difficult score to get, not compared to some of the other levels and the later levels, but to do it in that situation under that degree of pressure, wonderful stuff. Begrudging because I don't like the Elite Three, but I do respect the gameplay on Pilot Wings there. That was great. And it almost makes up for what came before and what's about to come. Yeah, unfortunately, Matthew the Nightmares is up last. I mean, he's got a benchmark to beat set the that was set by Liam of the Elite Three, but he's also got like, you know, the, the worst possible outcome, which had been set by Rob of the Questers. And he aims more towards Rob than he does Liam in all of this, because he also misses a like three of the five rings, opens his shoot early, and then lands out of bounds. And it's only because he landed and didn't land in water that he gets two extra points that Rob did not. I mean, basically, he lands on the bridge between the mainland and the island of the target. And I, he could have actually got a really respectable score despite missing the rings. But yeah, he opened the parachute too early. He descended too fast. There was a chance I thought he was going to end up kind of like in a hole in the ground, which is what you do if you hit the ground way too fast. I, I did feel a little bit frustrated at the end because realistically, given the age of this game, given its availability... And given that you can basically teach yourself this level in five, six goes, if, if you've even played the game before, none of them should have done that poorly. It's disappointing. I'm disappointed, Luke. I was disappointed in this as well, Ash. I was disappointed on your behalf, um, but I was also disappointed from my own uh, feelings on this as well. As I said, this is the fourth time we've had Pilot Wings and this challenge in particular. For the semi-finals of the team championships, I would have expected better playing than this. And I don't want to be like, that, that almost makes me sound like a bit sort of elitist of this. Two of those people did quite bad at this. And we've seen literal children play this game on this show who completely outplayed them. Yeah, I had a note that said exactly that. But um, I mean, we already know which way the wind's blowing on this one. But I suppose we should go over to Dex and find out how that impacts the scores. The Questers, well, they got zero in that challenge and zero in the last challenge. That means they've got zero overall. Then the Nightmares, well, they got two in the last challenge and five in the challenge before. That means they got seven overall. That means way out in front with a massive 10 points. This is the Elite Three, give them a cheer. Man, you've just got to feel rough for the Questers there. Like goose eggs in the fight. Like it's not, it's, it's not what you want to be going home with, is it? Not at all. And post-match, Andrew says he thinks Nerves got to them. His teammates agree. I mean, Nerves or not, time to depart as the caretaker basically hoofs them from the premises. And we go to an advert break. What a disappointing end. Mm. Well, we're going to go for a quick commercial break. But while we do that, well, don't you go too far because these two teams are still going to battle it out for a place in their final. So you've got to see that. Select cuts from Whiskers are definitely Smokey's big favourites. And no wonder, there are lots of delicious varieties. 
all individual meaty pieces, succulent, juicy, and Smokey says they taste as good as they look. Now you see them? Now you don't. Whiskers select cuts. Cats would buy whiskers. Stargazer Barbara reveals Sega TV! What does the future hold for you this month for Mega CD? What future? Try harder or you'll be choppered, burnt out, what they putting back? Aquarius! You're in deep water. In fact, you're down the pan. Aries, no, game over. Charter's the ball! Ah, you're dead meat. You'll end up a collection of matching leather accessories. Gemini, Cancer, Leo, Ditto. Scorpio! Good time! Making movies, bands, babes, it's mine, fine! But not for you. Sagittarius! This month you're a twisted arrow spinning in a twilight sky. Let's face it, you're shot. To be Mega CD takes Sega! Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Well, I'm speechless. You see, you see she's a fool to BT has abolished peak rate, so now it's as cheap to call in the morning as it's always been in the afternoon. It's amazing, isn't it? Well, I never thought it'd go back to her after that. Well, would you let anyone put a thing like that in your garden? The size of it. Anyway, I'd better take Monty for a walk. That reminds me. Did I tell you my pipes had burst? The new daytime rate from BT. All over the floor. Celebrity challenge. Please go absolutely mad and wild and crazy for two of the bad boys, Tony and Ellie. Give them a kiss. I've seen to numerous computer conventions around the country, I think, haven't I? You're quite yeah. funny. You need your computer games, don't you, you two? We are now. Yeah, <laughs> getting into it. We come back from the ad break, and Tony and Ali from Bad Boys Inc., who may be all the members of Bad Boys Inc., or just some of the members of Bad Boys Inc. Either way, we've actually seen them before on this show because they were part of the Games Master Live episode. They were standing outside a booth for... Um, we're with UBI Soft, a new game, F1 pole position. Yeah, UBI Soft. Bloody hell. <laughs> and Dex, Dex says, oh yeah, I've seen you guys at gaming conventions up and down the country. You must be... Uh... You're quite into computer games then. And um, one of them basically blows any illusion out of the water going, well, yeah, we are now. Yeah, basically, no. our publicist has sent us to these bloody places, which is, you know, we're not we're not going to market ourselves to gamers, really. It's not going to work. But 
hey, here we are. And I bet you them appearing here, there's a tie-in here. This is an appearance by Cashin because yeah. these guys' career is already on the wane. You can tell, you can see there is no life in their eyes. They just want the pain to end. They are done and dusted with being bad boys, Inc. Yeah, it, it's bizarre. It's like clearly someone in their marketing team decided you're going to be the gamers. You're like, that's your thing. You lot play games. We're going to send you out to gaming conventions. We're going to send you on to Games Master. You're going to be the gaming lot. But they don't appear to be gamers. And as you say, like he literally does blow the whistle on that by saying like, oh yeah, we're into games now. Like, yeah, revealing this was all just PR nonsense. And so I, I kind of feel bad for them in that way as well. You know, that none, they don't like playing games, but their gimmick was you have to play games. And so they've just been forced into all these various different scenarios where they have to pretend that they like the games all the while releasing singles that aren't charting. I mean, we covered this when they appeared on the show in Games Master Live. They were the first band to feature on the National Lottery. That's the most interesting thing about them. And they didn't have a number one single. Like, I think most of them like fell outside of the top 10. And at this point, they are 12 months away from just going, nah, f*** it, we're yeah. done. Uh, but maybe they'll have fun playing this game. What are they playing, Games Master? For my celebrity challenge, I've selected the Star Wars game, Rebel Assault for the PC. The winner of my golden joystick will be the bad boy who survived the longest while navigating their X-Wing through a winding and precarious canyon. Each contestant may hit the canyon walls four times before his X-Wing is destroyed. Use the force, boys. This is actually really exciting. Playing Star Wars Rebel Assault. Yeah, I wish we had better people playing it. I mean, this <laughs> is the PC version that they're playing, which is an interesting choice at this point in time because PCs this is an on-rail shooter so it's a lot of video it's a lot of models and it's a lot of arcadey fun and pc for flight simulator sure but for arcade games mm, i'm not too sure this game did also come out for the mac the sega cd see they could have featured that that would have been much more promising to show but also for the 3do and was the first cd-rom only game to be published by lucasarts and basically cast you as a young pilot called rookie one and their path up through the rebellion it's just so lovely to see star wars in a much more innocent time there were just three movies and that was it you had the expanded universe books and that was it like like the most controversial thing to come out of star wars was the holiday special caravan of courage like it was just a much simpler time to to kind of be into star wars and like we there was this big resurgence of Star Wars interest in the early 90s, particularly because we got a load of games based around it. And they were games that were like taking ideas from the Star Wars universe and Star Wars canon and expanding them into their own things. You know, we've got Rebel Assault here. We're going to get TIE Fighter later on this year, I think it is. You know, we get X-Wing at a certain point, Shadows of the Empire. Like we kind of get like all of these Star Wars games that are just interesting takes from the star wars universe and whilst this is a shooter on rails i would say that this is kind of a spiritual forefather for rogue squadron yeah and and those kind of games because this is firmly placed in the timeline of a new hope uh, with a few dips into hoth for for the empire strikes back 
there's footage from the original trilogy, there's music, there's sound effects, they've redone some of the sequences as CGI, they've shot original models, they've done all sorts of stuff to really fit this into the Star Wars universe. And it's cool as well, because like, if you're a Star Wars fan, particularly like a, a hardcore Star Wars nut who is sort of like hanging on every line that has been said from the original trilogy to kind of like pick out various bits and bobs, you know, this is Beggar's Canyon. This is the stuff that they had talked about in A New Hope. And if I may uh, push my glasses up my nose here to, to make a correction to, to Patrick Moore. <laughs> I can see you shaking your head. You know what I'm going to say. Because he says the, they're flying X-Wings. And if I may just push my glasses up the bridge of my nose, those aren't X-Wings, sirs. Those are T-16s. The clue is they don't look like an X. Yeah, exactly. The key feature of an X-Wing is when it is flying in battle mode, it looks like an X. Yeah. Which is very confusing because why why does it look like an X when we already know established that they do not have a traditional English alphabet in the Star Wars universe? But that is literally an entirely separate podcast that some other bugger can make because there's plenty of bearded people being angry about Star Wars on the internet. Oh, isn't there just? So the game is the impressive-looking rebel assault. Dave, the game looks great. Tell us a bit about the challenge. Ali's up first. Those guys really aren't better looking than me, are they? No, 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 Dave. Definitely not. Oh, all right, all right. The rebel assault's a very, very tough game. But this is a good challenge for teen idols, because sooner or later they've got to get used to things blowing up in their faces, haven't they? Oh, Dave! I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Dave uh, is clearly not a fan of boy bands. He is clearly not a fan of this boy band either. And like his his basic thing he has about uh, has against boy bands is that the girls think that they're better looking than I am. That's not true, is it, Dex? Tell me I'm better looking than them. And Dex massages Dave's ego. And with that kind of like nicely soothed, Dave does say the game is very tough. But he says it's a good challenge for teen idols because sooner or later they've got to get used to things blowing up in their faces. I mean, on one level, whoo, on another, not far from the truth with this lot. I wrote my nose. In fairness, he's not wrong. Dex kind of half chastises him, but also knows that he's bang on the money with that one. I'll be honest, Ali is sat there um, and he does not look sure about this whatsoever. Like he does not look comfortable in the least. He lasts 20 seconds. He flies into the wall a fair number of times and he blows up. It's really bad playing. I had the note that he flew like a drunk wasp and when they cut back to him while playing, he looked like he was having a seizure. Tony's up next day. What do you think his chances are? Tony's chances of beating Alex are very good because Tony actually completed the challenge in practice. Well, so then, what more can you say having a net? Tony, the, the putting over Tony is the much better player because he actually completed it in practice. He doesn't hear. Um, he lasts 37 seconds and then dies. He also flies around like a drunk wasp. And like an absolute idiot as well. He takes the harder route. There's a moment, like he gets to the point when you can take two things and you, they basically say like, you carry on straight, that's the easy road. If you go right, that's the really difficult one. So he flies right like an absolute div. And he kind of mirrors some of his career choices, really. He does win by basically sucking less. Oh yeah, he wins with the two sweetest words in the English language. Default. Yeah, the, the graphics are great on that game, aren't they? Don't yeah, you think? Brilliant. Intense. It's, it's a bit tough, though, isn't it? Very tough. Very tough. Yeah. I think a joystick was rigged there. Yeah, joystick uh, was rigged. Yeah. Better luck next time. It was a great challenge, though. Good game, yeah, isn't it? Post-match, they both agree the graphics are great, but it is really intense, and Ali thinks the joystick was rigged. Nope, you just sucked. <laughs> 
I got a kick of him saying that, you know, oh, I had the force with me. So, you know, at least he knew something along those lines. Yeah, it written on his hand. It was it was a note he was given. It was yeah. like the the force is with me. <laughs> we were just passing Shelbyville. We were meant to be playing for West Ham. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, these two looked like they didn't want to be there. I, I, I feel bad for them in a way. Uh, I'm sure they made it, and you know, some money off the back of this, but bloody hell, they had a miserable time. Hello and welcome. Who's first to receive my games-playing kiss of life? Games Master, I'm stuck on the first world of the Empire Strikes Back for the Super Nintendo. Can you help? On the second level of World One, Planet of Hoth, there are two bridges that crumble when you walk over them. Stand on the second one and wait for it to crumble. As you fall, push left, and you will magically land on an invisible platform. If you shoot into the air around you, you'll reveal a host of power-ups. Brilliant, thanks. Uh, pretty simple stuff, this, um, but it's one of those, and we talked about this a lot in the consultation zone in Series 3, it's better to see it in a video format than it to be written down in a magazine. Especially because as you essentially are deliberately falling to your death to look for an invisible platform, ooh, there'd be a lot of frustrated people there just going, oh, shot, missed it, what, no, ah, uh, rip cartridge out, throw it into the icy plains of Hoth. And was it really worth it? Like, were those power-ups really worth, like, nearly killing yourself to get there? I don't know. I mean, to be fair, the, M the Super Empire Strikes Back is a tough game. I think it's the hardest one. Nails. It's great, though. I, I, I love seeing this era of uh, Star Wars games because, yeah, they were generic platformer. They were the Lego Star Wars of <laughs> their time, but they were made with a lot of love and they were a lot of fun. So it was great to see. Obviously, this is the second of the three games. We have this. We had Super Star Wars before it and we have Super Return of the Jedi coming up. One of the only things of real note is that there is a deleted level on this hmm. game there was originally a mode 7 effect style asteroid chase stage uh but it was cut because of cartridge space we're back to that cartridge spacing it was sega going that star trek's not gonna sell and then it was sonic being split into two and now here on the nintendo side of things nope no cartridge space gotta cut that asteroid chase out gotta cut out the bit that actually breaks up the fairly standard platforming action yeah, I was going to say, that was one of the big things of uh, Super Star Wars was there's quite a lot of variety in there as well when you had sort of like the speeder stuff. So I think it probably would have been needed and it'd be quite nice, actually. Yeah, the decision to leave it out is quite baffling, although not as baffling as Games Master after giving this hint, saying, Bottoms up. <laughs> I'm, I'm not entirely sure what he's referring to there. Honestly, it was either after lunch, Patrick had been drinking his paycheck, or they realised they needed an outro and they grabbed it from something else or something they hadn't used. There's a very high probability that it was just a take from something else. And they were like, well, we have no other way to get into this next one, so use that if you can. Games Master, I keep finishing bottom of the league on Premier Manager 2 for the Amiga. Do you know how to help? Go to the telephone screen and dial this number. 896610. And you will find yourself in front of a particularly generous flute machine. 
spin the wheels, and each time you'll find that you hit the jackpot and win improvements in your players' attributes. After just a few spins, you'll have the fastest and most skillful team around. Oh, brilliant. Thanks. I I remember playing quite a bit of Premier Manager. I was a, you know, quite, I, I like my football managing sims. Particularly like, so my cousins really, really loved a football manager sim. I've, I've mentioned it a fair few times. Champ Manager, 96, 97. But yeah, like they also look Premier Manager. And I don't remember this hint at all. I don't, I don't think we ever did this one. I mean, you're not a big football person now. I'm not, no. No, no, no. Oh, no, not at all. But I am beginning to understand where your love of spreadsheets comes from. <laughs> I think there's a correlation here, Luke. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call it now. Oh, yeah, I mean, there is. Like, I, I enjoyed playing FIFA, enjoyed playing FIFA 97, but I spent hours doing Football Manager Sims. Bloody loved me a Football Manager one. Uh, I mean, Champ Manager is king. I never got into, you know, like, my at university, my housemates were huge into Football Manager to, like, obsessive degrees of, like, not really focusing on their degree. Um, just actually because they would be just talking about their, their Football Manager uh, careers they were going. One of my uh, housemates, in fact, actually dressed up in a suit for the Champions League final that he had for his football manager uh, game that he was playing. He was like, this is a really big day for me, so I wanted to look the parts. I got into a suit and everything to play the game. Whereas here we are, just coming out of lockdown, and for most of the past year and a half, people are lucky if I wear trousers while working, and yeah. It- oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean I, so, I mean, I didn't get into the football manager side of things, but I did get into EWR. Uh, you want to talk about spreadsheets, that is essentially it's a database game. Uh, the, the wrestling manager sim. Oh my, I spent so many hours on that in my, during my university years. Lectures I would spend playing that game. And if I wasn't doing it, like I'd have my notepad out and I'd be writing down like, you know, the next lot of matches that I'm going to book. Because it was a, you know, it's a quite a simplistic little engine. But yeah, I used to spend a lot of time on that. And now I'm understanding where your career path came from. So cool. <laughs> this has been a learning experience for me. I don't have much to say on Premier Manager 2 because there are some Sims I like. Sim City. Populous, Theme Park, Theme Hospital, Two Points Hospital. Those I get. Premier Manager, Football Manager, it's not for me. But I'm fine with people that do like it. But I'd even try to do the research on this. And I'm just like, there was a first game, there was a third game. It got good reviews, mostly. And that was it. Yeah. There was nothing groundbreaking as far as I can tell. It was a case of, oh, this is a sequel to Premier Manager. And down the line, there was a Premier Manager 3 that happened yeah i mean i'm pretty sure this got like very you know yearly edition yearly updates sort of things and they'd be on pretty sure like premier manager was even on the mega drive uh, at some point and then it was on like the playstation had a version of it i think the ps2 had versions of the premier manager until it finally came to an end the only other note i had on this entire tip was the fact that i wondered if the kid was playing as kevin keegan <laughs> well, there was more chips there than a bunch of asparagus, right? Dex's line here, like usually we go straight into the final challenge as we've discussed before, but like sometimes we'll just talk about the banter. I don't want to talk about the banter particularly, although like um, you know, again, more of the elite three being uh fairly humble people. But it's Dex's line that I actually wanted to highlight here, where he comes out this going like more tips than a bunch of asparagus. So two. <laughs> It was a short consultation zone. We only had two. We normally have three. If if we'd had the full three, I'd have probably gone, yeah, okay. But with two, it's like, nah, mate. <laughs> it's got the same amount of tips as like a cotton wool, yeah. you know, an earbud. That's how many tips. Same amount of tips as an earbud. It doesn't work as a line. 
it's not it just it just made me laugh like you know we are on the penultimate episode of dex's run and i, I feel like that's the first time we've shown a bit of character coming out of the consultation zone usually it's just like oh that's fresh and funky in the consultation zone or that's very much for the consultation zone here is like no i've got a line i've got a bit that i want to do it's more tips than a bunch of asparagus there is this thing and we brought it up when we were talking about him with the crash test dummies it's not that he's being unprofessional but he has loosened up and i think he's partly loosened up because he's stopped giving a shit oh yeah 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 he knows his time is coming to an end well maybe not like uh, as a host in general but certainly at least doing this series and this team championship is coming to an end yeah i mean as long a run as it has been for us i can only imagine the intensity and just the exhausting nature of recording mm-hmm. this particularly when it's not even just three challenges per episode but what we've got four five sometimes more but as you said the elite three are pretty humble he thinks his chances are average dean nominates dean for the next challenge that was quite confusing (laughs) and even he admits to being a bit nervous but he doesn't think he'll buckle under the pressure i mean you would be a bit nervy in this position wouldn't you like this is it this is the final chance to get into the final yeah and i am wondering is why have the elite three suddenly They've, they've done the baby face turn. They are the humble baby face now. And I don't entirely buy it <laughs> because earlier in the season, they were colossal bellends. But I am also wondering is, did something happen behind the scenes that shut them down? Like, did Dave Perry just walk up to them and just go, you're actually shut? Or did Dave Perry walk up to them and be like, you guys are hilarious. I like the cut of your chip. And they were like, "Uh uh-oh, Dave Perry likes us. We're on the wrong side here. Are we the baddies? Oh, but this is the last challenge of the last semi-final. You want it to be a cracker. You need it to be something good. And it is. Games Master, (laughs) tell us what we got. For my final challenge, I've selected the celebrated classic Street Fighter 2 Turbo for the Super Nintendo. The winner of tonight's semi-final will be the team who takes two rounds off their opponent in a frenzy of spectacular beat-em-up action. Gentlemen, prepare for battle. The championship final is within sight. Man, you want to talk about like games that have come up a lot in Series 3. Obviously, Mortal Kombat has come up a hell of a lot throughout this run because it was often used as like the um, uh, the tiebreaker if we needed one. Also, we got like a full episode dedicated to it. But like, I think with this and with um, Special Champ Edition, Street Fighter has been all over this series. It's one of those games where even if the players aren't great, it's still entertaining on screen. It's also very easy to limit how long you're actually going to have to have it on screen because if you wanted to, you could knock the timer right down. You could make it two out of three 45-second rounds. Okay, time limit draws wouldn't be fun, but rarely, rarely do we get past the 45-second mark on a round. But also at this point, Street Fighter 2 in some variety has been around for a good year or so. Most kids that have got a SNES will have it. Most kids that have got a Mega Drive will have it, particularly if they're going to be on Games Master. It's in chip shops and video rentals up and down the country. You should get some good gameplay. So I can understand why they went back to this well one last time. I I would. Yeah, absolutely. And it's just like, I was curious to like how many times Turbo is actually featured in this series. And despite the fact that it feels like it's been here a lot, It's only had one challenge up until this point. 
And that was back in episode five. That was back in like the original prison days. All of the other ones have been on Champ Edition. Like the Champ Edition was in Games Master Live. And we also had Champ Edition in the team championships as well. I genuinely thought it was the other way around. I thought we'd seen more of Turbo and less of Special Champ. And either way, it it's apples and carrots. No, it's not <laughs> apples. It's making shit out of carrots. Um, apples and oranges kind of thing. They're both fruit. They're just slightly different. And really, the main difference between Special Champ and turbo edition is how you select that extra speed otherwise they're pretty much the same yeah the only difference will be home field advantage to whoever's more used to a snes controller versus a mega drive controller yeah absolutely and i would uh, say that um it's probably ashton who i think is the uh, is the better player here although I did, I did like dave's commentary where he was like everyone thinks they're an expert on this game i was like yep including you dave and I think Dex's opening line when they come back from Games Master telling us a challenge of just saying, this isn't just a classic, this is the game. Yeah. Kind of sums up everything that we've just gone through about the kind of pervasive nature of Street Fighter 2. It could be Street Fighter 2, it could be Special Champ, it could be Turbo. If you ask your friends, you want a game of Street Fighter, doesn't matter which version it is, they're on board. And I think like the reason why it's felt like it's been in, in this show so much is because because it is the game of the moment, as as Dex was referring to there, every beat-em-up challenge that we have seen throughout the team championships, people have played it like it's Street Fighter or Mortal Kombat. So, and like when we, we've, you know, seen people get onto games that don't play like that, and then they sort of struggle with it a little bit. So I think it's actually quite nice for us to round off the team championship semifinals with a game that these two kids are probably going to be very, very comfortable with. You would hope, going into this, Dean is Bison, and Ashton is just going for the flowchart. He's going straight for Ken Masters. I think if you are in the Team Championship semifinals, that is a smart choice to make. Don't mess around. I've got mad respect for anyone who picks Bison. Bison's one of my car. He's one of my guys. I love playing as Bison. But if I was in a championship position, I ain't picking Bison. I am picking Captain Standard. I am picking Ryu. I am picking Ken. I am picking someone who I could just throw some fireballs. I can throw some dragon punches, some cyclone kicks. Very, very simple, basic shit. And that's fine. I think that is a brilliant tactical maneuver. Yeah. And going into this, Dean is considered the favorite. And I got to say, by the way he starts off playing as Bison, I wouldn't see why. Because. He just keeps jumping into uppercuts. He is literally making Ashton's job easy for him. You talk about the idea of the flowchart in Street Fighter, and it comes out of Ken of jump in, kick, hurricane. You know, there's a couple of different combos, and they're standards. And if you try any of those in any competitive Street Fighter now, you will get whooped. Mm -hmm. But even then, the predictability of jumping in, it, it's nothing. And he doesn't even try changing tact. He keeps doing the same thing and eventually just loses the first round to a throw ashton for the most part hasn't had to do any real work on this i've got to think that like when i'm going back and re-watching it whether or not dean is familiar with bison i mean maybe he is because he does throw some psycho crushes and but like the thing that kind of gave me pause is it keeps going for the slide which is bison's crouching hard kick if you do that crouching hard kick with anyone else bar Guile, 
what you're going to get is a very simple sweep or kick that is just going to do some damage. With Bison, it sends you across the floor, and he keeps going for it. And I'm not sure what his tactic is, other than he was trying to maybe do the slide and then do the head stomp, but it never works out for him. And he was committed to that bit, if that's what it was. And again, that was a mistake. Shouldn't have done that. Yeah, if he was going for that head stomp, like the flowchart, slide into the head stomp, hard punch, he doesn't nail it whatsoever. And like you say, then he just gets into a situation where he's jumping over Hadoukens and then gets caught with dragon punches. And in the second round, bloody hell, absolute whitewash here. Ashton just completely takes it. Bison makes the briefest of comebacks, but this was all Ashton as Ken. It was almost a perfect. It was almost just absolutely obliteration. And whatever my feelings on the Elite (laughs) 3, Ashton was a great player in this challenge. He played a solid game and he read Dean like a book. It's an amazing game and Ashton was on form. But I wish we'd had a bit more balanced challenge. And the only person to blame for that, unfortunately, is Dean. Not even by his character choice, but by his commitment to a single tactic. To go back to episode 10 of season one, he got trigger happy. He's got trigger happy. Yeah, you said it best. Yeah, it wasn't wasn't a particularly great uh, final challenge there, but that is the Elite Three going through to the finals. And they were, again, pretty humble about themselves in the in the last you know calling dean a really good player it was a you know like dean himself was also lovely sportsmanship wishing them the best of luck in the finals it was a real change of pace for them dean 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 come here tell me what went wrong did you get in the cage and get nervous or what just nerves and i mean he's he's so good he's he's one of the best man yeah you think he's good yeah he's better winning the finals yeah well we're wishing them luck are you yeah all right nicely done very sporting like well ashton you're pleased with your performance yeah he's a good player though yeah yeah oh what sportsman everybody is on this show ain't everybody nice it's great all right don't buy it waiting for the heel turn (laughs) man don't buy it it's too late in the day for going full baby face this is bullshit booking don't buy it at all Side Hawks and the Mega Manias in our final coming up next week. It's going to be a grand Mega Mungus final with the most prizes you won't believe. So you've got to tune in and check that out. We'll see you in a week's time. Bye! Our final is set for next week of the final of the Team Championship. The only ever Team Championships in Games Master, it should be noted. The only Team Championship up until this point. Well, yes. Yeah, yeah, quite. <laughs> you never know. Stranger things. I mean, really, stranger things have happened. At least three seasons of Stranger Things has happened, but also Stranger Things have happened. But yeah, it's going to be the Elite Three versus Humberside Hawks versus the Mega Maniacs. Three very good teams, actually. The uh, the Hawks in particular and the Mega Maniacs are really, really strong contenders there. And that final episode is going to be different again. Uh, we've got no reviews in the next episode. We've got no consultation zone. We've got no celebrities. It is all team championship we have more challenges than ever before and we're recording this on the same night we're going to go on and record the final episode i am psyched for that Mm -hmm. final episode not because it's the last episode of the series but because the focus is just on the gaming and the gamers there's no extraneous stuff they're making that final all about the teams and all about the games but this was the last semi-final Luke, what did you think? Um, I mean, do you know what? I loved the Aladdin challenge because that was wonderful textbook Aladdin playing. 
I didn't really like many of the other challenges, though. The Pilot Wings one in particular was frustrating because it was, I mean, bear in mind, this is the semi-finals of the team championships, and it was two of the worst performances we've ever seen in the, the various times that we've seen Pilot Wings through our podcast run. Actual children did better at Pilot Wings. 100%. Poor old Bad Boys Inc. don't care about video games, but they've been forced into it by a PR company. Some middle management bastard has made them be the video game people that they don't want to be, and they're forced to come here and play Star Wars Rebel Assault very, very badly, and the only ones by default. So cool to see the game, bad to watch the challenge. But actually, like, I kind of I didn't mind the Street Fighter 2 Turbo challenge, really. Like, I'd have liked to have been a bit more competitive, maybe, but I, I, it was fun to do the analysis of it, particularly because of all of Dean's mistakes and Ashton taking advantage of those mistakes. So I'm a bit kind of like 50-50 on this episode, because when you look at the review zone, all mega CD stuff, and the consultation zone, there wasn't a massive amount. It may as well have just sort of not been there. But for me, like this episode is very much brought down by that celebrity challenge and the bloody pilot wing stuff, man. I got a kick out of pilot wings, not because the challenge was good, but because I just like seeing pilot wings. That's mm-hmm. that's about it, really. It would have been nice if we'd gone with one of the other challenges, maybe the kind of hang glider challenge or or the jetpack challenge. The jetpack challenge could have actually been really good, but it would have been it would have been a difficult one to do with three different people because it would be a longer challenge because you've got to fly around pass through the rings or touch the bars and then land the reviews were so so i found the mega cd feature very interesting because it showed a couple of games that were desperately them trying to put something back into the mega cd games master still razzing on the mega cd but kind of understandable oh yes totally yeah yeah and of course quite a contrast to the 3do feature we had a few weeks back which they were much more positive about but also those games did look really good <laughs> yeah that, well, absolutely yeah i mean the, the mega cd um review zone that we got the review zone special it's a wonderful snapshot into this period of time and actually is as a really good window into why the mega cd did not work and why it did not sell but yeah then we had the celebrity challenge with boys to meh and um <laughs> the consultation zone and street fighter 2 which again not as competitive as either of us would have liked but some good tactical play from Ashton. But no, I I did like this episode. I'm just not sure how much I liked it. Yeah. It's it's a tough one. It's not a bad episode. Nope. It's just not spectacular. The celebrity challenge is whatever. It gave us a couple of laughs, if nothing else, because really, those poor bastards. Oh, I feel so bad for them. So, so sorry for them. So what do you think in percentage-wise? I would actually say that, like, Series 3, this the latter half of it has been very consistent in the scores. They all feel like they've been around the sort of 80, like they've, they're either in the 80 bracket or they, they've managed to burst through into the 90s. I don't think many have dipped below 80. And I don't think I'm going to have this one dip below it either. But I do think I'm going to be at a solid 80%. And that is all based on Aladdin, the final round, and that's um, the the intrigue, the interest of the Mega CD reviews. And it is brought down by Rebel Assault, and it is brought down by uh, Piss Poor Pilot Wings playing. Uh, oh, that was actually some uh, nice alliteration there that I, I did accidentally. That you're going to have to censor. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, I, suddenly, I didn't suddenly realize that I sounded like I was saying Pilot Wings was piss poor, and it's not. Pilot Wings is ace, but the playing was piss poor. Um, so yeah, I think I'm going to go at 80, 
potentially even 79. But then like that makes it sound like it's a bad episode and it's not. No, no, no. Don't forget, we've had this discussion about review scores back then because back then 75 or above was still worth checking out. So you can have 79 and it's still fine in my books. And I think it would be worth checking out just to watch. I mean, seriously, if you have not seen textbook Aladdin playing, particularly from 1993 as well, we are like, well, do you know what? I'd really like to see some textbook. What Go and watch this episode because you get two, uh, two shots, in fact, of wonderful Aladdin playing. Or if you want to see the exact moment when a couple of guys from a boy band realize that their <laughs> career is over, also go and check it out. Who thought, Luke? two or so episodes ago that we would have a bigger pair of dummies on this show than the crash <laughs> test dummies <laughs> see what you did there so you've gone 79 i actually think i'm gonna go the same i'm gonna go 79 but 79 with the note that 79 doesn't mean it's bad 79 means it's just not as good I think that is very, very fair. And that is going to do it for this episode. Thank you all so much for listening. You all rule. Uh, please do consider following this podcast wherever you're listening, uh, if you've managed to make it to this point. And find us on social media channels. We are at underconsolepod on Twitter, at under.console on Instagram. And you can send us an email to feedback at underconsultation.com. And if you want to hang out with kind of the digital underconsultation secret clubhouse, you can join our Discord server where there's currently still chatter going on about the uh, Games Master Oral History book. The Kickstarter of that is seven days left at this time of recording. If you haven't backed it, by the time you hear this, it's too late. Too late. Too late will be the cry with the man with the Barkins has passed you by. Very nice. <laughs> Thank you. Get your fingers out of my soup. <laughs> what was I doing? Discord. We've got a great bunch of people there. We've got a really lovely, warm community. There's been lots of retro gaming chat recently, lots of film and television chat, some strange discussions about how Doctor Who and Buckaroo Banzai may be the same person. And if you know what I mean by that, come on down and join us because you're probably the right sort of person to hang with us. Details can be found on our social media or in the show notes. And if you want to support this podcast monetarily, you can do so over at patreon.com forward slash under console pod, where you'll get access to under consultation extra or UCP extra as we shorten it down to, uh, which is basically uh, we do this podcast, but we do it for other TV shows. We have done Finders Keepers. We have done Funhouse. We have done Gladiators. We have done Nightmare. We've even done the real Ghostbusters. Um, by the time you'll have heard this, we'll have recorded our press gang uh, as a bit of a swan song for Dexter Fletcher's time on Game. Master. So you can get access to that. You'll also get access to our monthly community show, Under Console Nation, which we do live on YouTube. And there's a podcast version of it that's available on demand. Uh, and if you back us at the £5 level, you get next week's show one week early and ad-free. And at the £10 level, you get something a little bit extra. Ash, what do they get? Well, they get a Patreon-exclusive mug variant with Patreon-exclusive sticker variants and badge variants inside. Also, retro trading cards, retro sweeties, £5 off our first under-consultation t-shirt, which can be bought along with other stickers, badges and mugs at our website, underconsultation.com. And a shout out to those £10 backers, Xanderthal, William, Simon, Sean, Robert, Rich, Nick, Misha, Matt, Joe, Jason, Jamie, Gordon, David Palmer, David Fisher, Colin, Cliff, Carol, 
Adam Warrington and Adam D. Thank you all so much for listening. Thank you for being part of this community and thank you for checking this podcast out. We will see you in seven days' time. Holy shit. It's the finals of the team championships. It's the final episode of Games Master Series 3. It's the final episode with Dexter Fletcher. Bottoms up. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.